biggest entities in the world of American soccer are feuding with one another, plus we're diving into the world of chess and the plans of chess.com and Endeavor to make it a mainstream spectacle. It's Thursday, December 21st. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The MLS season is over, but there is suddenly drama in that league involving U.S. soccer. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports Newsletter co-author David Rumsey. Welcome, David. Hey, Owen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you. So um, if you could just explain this whole issue for us. MLS did not want to send its clubs to the U.S. Open Cup. That request is now being denied by U.S. soccer. Explain to us what's going on here. Yeah, so basically... The leaders of some influential American soccer organizations are at odds over what is really the oldest ongoing soccer tournament in the United States, which is the U.S. Open Cup. Um, Some people don't need explaining, but it is kind of the equivalent of the FA Cup over in England, right, where you see uh, clubs from across the country, pro, semi-pro, even amateur clubs, Um, battling throughout the year. And in in the U.S. this past year, 99 clubs competed in this. And it's not doesn't have the tradition of maybe the FA Cup in the U.K. or the Italian Cup or or things like that. But it is run by U.S. soccer, which also runs, you know, our national teams, U.S. men's national team, U.S. women's national team. And it, you know, requires um, cooperation with all the leagues like MLS or lower leagues like USL or even uh, lower tier leagues than that. So it's been going on for a long time. MLS has cooperated ever since it's been in, in existence. And, and now MLS is kind of rethinking its strategy and it, it requested to not send its first teams to the U.S. Open Cup in 2024 and, and potentially beyond. And instead it wanted to send teams that were affiliated in its MLS Next Pro League, which is kind of a developmental league. It's on the third tier of American soccer and kind of sparked some outrage uh, this week amongst big soccer fans. Uh, they felt like it was kind of killing the spirit of soccer or really damaging the culture of soccer in the United States to not, you know, um, participate in this long traditional storied cup, uh, have you. Um, but like you said, U.S. soccer decided to deny that request. So now we have to figure out what's going to happen moving forward. Is MLS going to comply with sending their top teams? Are they going to send their top players, even if they do send their top teams? And or will they just pull out uh, altogether? So that that's where we're at right now. Yeah, that's thanks for that explanation, because there's you know, a lot of moving parts here. Um, why does MLS not want to have their teams here? It seems like a good platform for them. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is their schedule is growing and becoming increasingly crowded. Last year, they started the Leagues Cup, uh, which is a competition with MLS clubs and clubs from Mexico's Liga MX. So that adds into the MLS regular season, which runs from you know February, March, all the way to you know it just ended a, a couple weeks ago. So you have that. You have international breaks that you know any club around the world is going to have to deal with for World Cup qualifiers or other international competitions. Um, you know you have a uh, Concacaf games. So um, MLS has a lot going on, and you know they see this as just kind of this is could be five, six, seven matches for an MLS team that you know 
um, interferes with the schedule and, you know, players can't play in every single game, you know, inter Miami made the final of the U S open cup this year. And it, you know, sparked a lot of interest in the semifinal when Messi played, but uh, a few weeks later when the final came, he was injured and wasn't able to play in the final as he missed a couple other games for inter Miami this year. So I think it's about the MLS says it's about, you know, conserving their schedule, but you know, there could be some other reasons. Um, the U S open cup is, um, figuring out its broadcast situation. Notably, it is not on Apple like all other uh, MLS regular season games are in the aforementioned Leagues Cup. So, you know, maybe MLS doesn't want to showcase its teams and Messi and its product um, to uh, other broadcasters. But, you know, th- I'm sure they wouldn't say that, but it is interesting. Yeah, yeah that, that last piece, I think, is significant here. Um, and as MLS grows, I'm wondering if we're going to see more tension um, in between itself and you know other soccer entities i guess u.s soccer is not the first one i would think of but apparently that's happening um anything we should be watching for going forward in terms of how this is all going to break out i think there's probably still uh some things to be determined here of exactly who mls is going to send uh to the 24 edition of the u.s open cup i i don't think they're going to pull out entirely but certainly you know they could you know tell their or not tell their teams but a lot of teams could choose to maybe not send their starters or maybe for example inter miami is playing in it but Messi doesn't play in any of the matches and then is it really inter miami right um so i i don't know i think that's what we'll have to look out for it's um it's an interesting event. It takes place over a long period of time, um, you know, from the spring throughout the summer um, and into the fall. So we'll be on the lookout and see if any kind of resolution gets done here. All right. Well, thank you for enlightening us, David Rumsey. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yep. Up next, I spoke to Chess.com CEO Eric Olibest. When it comes to participation, there are few competitive activities that rival chess on a global level, and Chess.com has been the game's most central hub of activity for more than a decade. Now the company has received an investment from Endeavor as it looks to turn those huge participation numbers into fans that enjoy chess as spectators. That conversation is coming up next. I am joined now by Eric Olivest, CEO of Chess.com. Welcome, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, great to have you. So we just got the recent news um, that Endeavor is investing in Chess.com. Beyond money, what is Endeavor going to bring to to your company? Well, first of all, we don't need the money. And in fact, their investment was actually not um, like... It was, it, it was actually buying secondary, meaning we didn't need a cash infusion. Um, and so it's not like incremental cash that we needed to kind of do some things. Chess.com has been profitable for basically like 15 years. Um, and so we keep reinvesting. So we didn't need the money. So we only needed, um, you know, the relationship. And the truth is, is that, you know, I got a call from Ari one day while I was doing dishes and uh, it was a little unexpected. and. Um, you know, Ari loves media. He loves sport. He loves entertainment. And he's like, I think chess has all these elements is underdeveloped and we could do some great stuff together. And this is a goal for chess.com. I mean, we have basically three missions at chess.com. One is to serve our community. The second is to grow the game. And the third is to be like the best place to work and the best partner to top players and organizations. And we really want to grow the game. And we feel like, Endeavor can help us do that, whether it's through, you know, 
production of different types of events, whether it's through media rights, whether it's through celebrity connections and WME, whether it's through sponsorships of our, you know, uh, properties and our tournaments and the events that we run, like, you know, Endeavor and WME have like a massive portfolio of things they can help us with. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I mean, it's a company I associate with like spectacle, you know, WME, UFC, you know, Smackdowns. Um, are they going to bring some of that energy to, to chess? You know, we, we've already started bringing some of that energy. We believe that more of that is needed. Um, you know, the game is sometimes has been a little bit uh, stuck in an old stuffy suit at times. And we think that it needs a revitalization. We don't necessarily need Endeavor to do that. We're starting to do that on our own. However, our visions are very much aligned. So we are coming together around that. Um, and so, you know, I think that our, again, our visions align here and they're a great partner to do that with us. But, you know, chess is going to change a lot over the coming years. I mean, we're already seeing the demographics of who plays and what events look like and what the world champion thinks, you know, former world champion thinks the game should look like and what the up and coming young players think the game should look like. So, you know, it's going to change a lot and it's going to be more of a spectacle and more fun. We're going to see more personalities coming out. I mean, right now, what, how many chess players can you name? Yeah, most people can name maybe like uh, there was that like American Bobby guy and then there was like a, a, a Gary Kasparov and then like maybe Magnus Carlsen and that's it. But there's so many great characters. There's so many people that the world is going to hear about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how do you, I mean, chess itself is, uh, I mean, you know, if, if you watch someone on the stream or something, you can get a little bit of a, a feel for their personality, especially if they're talking. But when the game is happening, it's it's a quiet uh, you know, contemplative thing. Um, uh, so yeah, how do you bring out those personalities and make it more of a, a fun spectacle, especially for people who, you know, probably can't name more than one or two chess players and maybe only have a passing grasp of how it all works? You know, I think um, for us, you know, if you watch an actual Formula One race, you, you know, you don't see or hear the player, you know, the drivers that much. It's a lot about the commentary. It's a lot about what's going on. But you've developed a relationship with the drivers, whether through Drive to Survive or whether through its other, you know, media that's surrounding the event. So, you know, we're going to take a lot from that playbook and try to get people to know the players outside of the only the event itself so that they have a vested interest in there through external media and other things, you know. So that, that's kind of what we're looking to do. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, makes a lot of sense. Chess has had some some booms in the last few years. And if we go back to The Queen's Gambit on Netflix, that, that caused a whole um, surge in interest. Uh, we also had, you know, the Hans Niemann cheating scandal, um, uh, you know, some months ago. Where is the game now in terms of growth, interest, you know, growth on your platform? Where are we at? So as you mentioned, we've had a couple of different booms at different times, um, seen a lot of great kind of waves kind of come together and peak. And, and you know, we've had different troughs at times. We had a massive growth peak um, about a year ago that tapered off through, the, through, through this year. Um, so as we go into next year, you know, what is growth going to look like? Are we going to see another boom? Is it going to be a slow build? Um, you know, no, no one has the crystal ball, but I will say we're expecting another wave. There are a couple of things I know about coming later next year in terms of media that should be driving more interest. Um, so we think that like, again, some major mainstream media, you know, pieces along with like really great events 
and you know partnerships and collaborations are going to drive continued interest in the game and hopefully transformative interest not just in the you know people who play online but actually in the people who watch it as a sport and as you know spectator event Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how? So yeah, and we mentioned a couple moments of national interest. You know, the, the Queen's Gambit was a phenomenon. Um, yeah, the, the, I think a lot of people got interested, even if they didn't really know much about chess in in the you know Hans Niemann scandal. Um, how do you convert that national attention around sort of storylines related to chess into people you know watching the you know the speed chess championships that kind of thing? It's a it's a challenge. I mean. In Formula One, you have millions of people who watch and dozens of people who drive race cars, right? I guess there's more than that, but you know what I'm saying. But in chess, you have millions of people who play and tens of thousands of people who watch. And so it's like the inverse relationship. How do we get more people, you know, to do that? And I think, again, like it's about players and storylines and, you know, more people have heard, heard Magnus Carlsen's name. People have now heard Hans Niemann's name. People have, you know, there's more stories and more players. I mean, if people knew the story of Ali Reza, that would be incredible. You know, Fabiano has a whole personality he needs to share more. Uh, you know, Wesley So is the, you know, the sweetheart, but also, you know, interesting angles to him. And so everybody has a story there. We haven't told all these stories. And once people know this, they're going to tune in. And so making that connection, though, between like, you're playing chess and you're enjoying beating, you know, the Martin bot, you know, how do you then go from there to like, I want to tune into the speed chess championship. That's something we're discussing a lot. We've talked about partnerships, whether it's with Endeavor and IMG or others. Um, so, you know, that's an, that's an area we're actively exploring. Gotcha. Um, you guys about a year ago acquired Magnus Carlson's company for our listeners. If you don't know Magnus Carlson, he's the best player in the world. Um, probably the best player ever. And so he has this company, Play Magnus, you guys acquired it. Is there any conflict of interest there in terms of you being in a financial relationship with, you know, the, the biggest star in the sport, but also in the game or whatever we're calling it, um, but, you know, someone who's competing in your competitions? I don't see it that way. I mean, I, I think that people who maybe don't like chess.com or want to read into some kind of conspiratorial you know, narrative in there can find a reason to not be happy about it. But I mean, as a fan myself, I mean, I'm super excited that Magnus is playing in our events. I mean, we're not preventing Magnus. We never have controlled what events, you know, players can play and that's completely up to them. And he, frankly, Magnus has like, you know, very little sway in what we do at chess.com. And we, we you know, we kind of do our own things a little bit with some minimal coordination around things. Um, you know, Magnus does whatever Magnus wants to do. There's no strong arming, you know, either way. And frankly, we're not here to serve Magnus Carlsen. We're here to serve chess, the game and all the top players. So, you know, as someone who lives in the weeds and works on this, like I don't feel a conflict of interest ever on this. And as a fan, I think it's been really positive. Um, but I can understand people, you know, may have suspicions and there are detractors who who may not like that. I get it. And I, I want to get into some of the, the cheating stuff. Um, so obviously there is there's the Hans Niemann scandal that, that we keep bringing up. That was a big moment of attention. But uh, since then, uh, for those of us who, who follow this sort of thing, there's been sort of ongoing concern. For instance, you mentioned Fabiano Caruana, another of the best players in the world. I've heard him say, look, I've played people live over the board and they have one level of strength and they play them on title Tuesday, your, you know, your weekly uh, competition among title players and they're much better. And I, I know that they're cheating. 
Um, and he also pointed out that some of the top players in the world, their ratings have been slipping over, over time. Um, and you think that's another indication that, um, that, that yeah, there's, there's cheating that's going undetected at the highest levels. So how, how do you, I mean, it's because computers are just better than people now, and that's, that's probably never going to change. How, how do you deal with those concerns? Well, first of all, I take this extremely seriously. I had conversations with Fabiano personally over dinner, like within the last week to talk about this. And it's really important to me. It's fundamental to the game and protecting it is, is absolutely critical. There's three things you can do. One is you can prevent. Another is you can deter. And then the third is you can detect and punish. And so we work on all of those things. Some are easier than others. I mean, it's pretty hard to prevent, you know, crime. You can't really stop somebody from shooting someone. You know, you can't really stop somebody from, you know, opening up a, you know, chess engine on their computer or on their phone. That said, we're doing more and more to deter it through video and through software. And then we're doing more to detect and punish um, with new policies, with new algorithms, we're continually investing in this. I mean, we have dozens of people who work on this, and it's a major thing for us. That said, I will say, I want to validate everything, all the criticisms of potential cheating. That said, and I've said this to anyone who brings this up, so I'm not like talking behind Fabiano's back or anything. Players have feelings about this. They have feelings. And I understand and validate the feelings, but there's also math and there's statistics and there's things. And sometimes when a player loses a game, they feel something in their heart or in their mind. And when you look at the stats, it doesn't bear out. And so no one likes losing. It makes people suspicious. And that happens. And, you know, for example, there was a player who, you know, accused someone who have, you know, who had a really long winning streak that that's impossible. So it must mean cheating when every single mathematician and statistician who looked at this said over 10,000 games, you are going to see streaks when the players are of this thing. So the other thing I will say is like, this is not to take away from the current, you know, older generation of players of which Fabiano is getting into the older generation, but like, there is a whole new generation of players who play different, think different, move the mouse different, understand time different, and have played chess in a different way. And I'm sorry, but there has to be a discussion about the fact that, you know, if you're a late 40s, you know, former world champion of classical chess, you just may not understand what it's like for an 18-year-old kid who's been playing three-minute chess his entire life and how they manipulate the clock, and they can move faster and think in a different way and do these different things, you may just not be looking at chess in the same exact way. So anyway, all of these are interesting things. I have a ton to say on this, obviously, and could go on forever about it, but we take this very seriously or continue to invest in it. I mean, I, I think what, what strikes me as as kind of the biggest, most nagging issue for you is not the like, you know, someone using a chess engine to just, you know, for every move to just, you know, dominate a game until they, they get caught. Um, it's more the people who can get by on, you know, they, they use it for three moves or they just use it to evaluate the position a couple of times and they say, okay, now, now I've got this edge almost impossible to detect unless you can detect the software being used at that time. 
And it, it just strikes me as, as something that's going to be very hard to ferret out, especially as more money comes into the game and there's more incentive, especially if you're, if you're not a big celebrity, you're not, you know, one of the, you know, you know, relatively small number of people who, who make money on, on streaming and then through the prize winnings who can get by on that. Um, it feels like if, you know, if, if you're more like the Hans Niemann level, very, very accomplished grandmaster, but also doesn't really have the big name for themselves, but oh, well, they could be Magnus Carlsen, you know, I, I guess starting to take a side on that particular one. But anyway, if you're at his level of uh, notoriety um, and earnings, there is an incentive to cheat and there is the the opportunity in some scenarios to do so. Um, and it just seems like if you're if you're clever enough about it, it's not like you're never going to get caught, but you might not get caught. You're not wrong. It's very hard. Sophisticated cheaters, you know, whether it's financial fraud or other things like, you know, it's a game of cat and mouse here. Um, I will say there's a couple of things we're going to be doing soon, which should help do this. Number one is right now people can kind of play from any device, any browser, any software. We're going to change that so that in our money events, you know, players are playing from a little bit more of a a much more controlled environment. Um, So that's one thing we're going to be doing. Two is we kind of have bifurcated our fair play into two things. One is like protecting the general population of players, which is much easier to protect. And then there's like title players and and our top playing events. And so we are developing more fine grain touch tools to understand those things. There's a lot of investment going in there and we've made some recent breakthroughs on the exact type of cheating that you're talking about. Um, so that plus we're very likely going to start some harsher penalties for people who are caught so that the deterrence is, you know, a lot stronger. So I hear you. I agree with you. This is a major challenge. I will say, I think we're better at it than people think we are and give us credit for. Um, and I think there's less cheating than, you know, might be expressed by some people that said, like it's a real problem and we are massively investing into it. All right. Sounds good. Eric Alabest, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks so much for having me. That is it for today. Subscribe to Front Office Sports today wherever you listen to podcasts and drop us a rating while you're there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.